I'm thrilled to be here. It worked out so well. Uh, I'm on my way to South Africa. Uh, Louise sends her apologies. She was invited to go, and uh, I bought her ticket. They didn't buy hers. I bought hers. Uh, they would have, but I said, no, I'll, I'll pay for Louise. And then uh, we had some family issues. Our daughter came uh, from Dallas to live with us, and she just arrived, and she doesn't know Nashville. She doesn't know where we... And Louise just didn't feel right leaving there for 12 days because that's how long I'll be gone. So I'm sorry Louise isn't here because she looks forward to being here. She loves England and would have loved just being here. And uh, anyway, my flight for uh, Johannesburg leaves Heathrow this evening. And I had this, this day and it just worked out. And uh, so I can't think of any better way. I'd rather spend it. And uh, if you will allow me to sit... Do you know that in ancient times, sitting represented a greater authority than standing? That's right. Uh, this, is, this is true. Uh, the rabbis always sat to teach. Uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, he sat. He would sit in the boat. Um, as a matter of fact... Uh, not just with rabbis. Uh, when Pontius Pilate uh, uh, raised the question, you know, shall I uh, release Barabbas? Uh, and they said, yes. Uh, who do you want? What do you want me to do? And they said, we want Barabbas. It wasn't until Pilate sat down that he gave his verdict. So sitting had authority. So I'm hoping that will add to my authority today. <laughs> I don't know how much you know what I plan to do. Any Have you told them? You have or you haven't? What? The Holy Spirit told them. I have a feeling it was Ant. <laughs> well, what I, here's, here's what I've done. I have prepared um, some study on Galatians and uh, we will I will go for 45 minutes and we will take a break I'll come back <laughs> anybody that's still here will do will keep going I don't know how much how long this is supposed to last you should know that I preached through Galatians at Westminster Chapel years ago it took four years and it's <laughs> and uh, 120 lessons in Galatians, but I have boiled them down to two. Uh, one, chapters one, two, three, and then we'll take a break and do the rest. Um, let's begin by, let me read a word. Uh, turn to Galatians. Somebody help uh, Nick find his place. Uh, Glenda, it's in the New Testament. Although it would be appropriate, I won't read the whole book of Galatians. I will... Uh, let's just read Galatians 1, verses 11 and 12. Okay? Galatians 1, 11 and 12. 
I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, may God be pleased to bless the reading and the teaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Could we bow together for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit has already been welcomed in this place, and I just add my welcome. And I pray in addition to that for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by the Spirit upon every mind, every heart, that their perception will be exactly what you intend for them to receive, and that my tongue will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that I will utter everything you want said, nothing you don't want said, and that this will be a time of great clarification, building up, comforting, warning, life-changing between what we say this morning and this afternoon. Make it a day of days that will make a difference in our lives. Lord, if that doesn't happen, it's worthless to be here. We didn't come here to fill in time. We came to be your instrument to see lives changed. And may this bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Galatians has been called the little book of Romans. Uh, Galatians was written first. As a matter of fact, Galatians was one of Paul's early epistles. Romans came later. Uh, if you read uh, the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, we won't go there now, but just call it to your attention. Uh, Paul describes the greatest trial he ever had. It's in, described in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And Bible scholars believe they can date what epistles Paul wrote before that incident described in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 1 and what came after. Uh, what came after would be 2 Corinthians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Romans. The early epistles uh, would be Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Corinthians, and uh, some of the pastoral epistles. We won't go into all the details. 2 Timothy was, was later. Uh, but Galatians was early. Now, the question emerges, was there any development or any change? And uh, the answer is, Possibly, but not too noticeably. It would seem that there was no change, but there is a maturity in Romans that you don't have in Galatians. And yet everything that is in Galatians is unfolded in Romans uh, in, a, in a greater depth. Now, it was Romans that Martin Luther discovered. Uh, it was reading one seventeen. Uh, the just shall live by faith. And uh, that turned the world upside down. And he called Romans the purest gospel. But 
his love affair was with Galatians. And he said, it is Galatians to whom I am betrothed. It is my Katie von Burra. Well, uh, uh, when I first came to Westminster Chapel, uh, literally, my opening uh, messages there on Friday nights, uh, I chose Galatians. And it was during that period that Michael Eaton was having a, a, a transition. He had given up his church in Johannesburg and wasn't sure what his future would be. And uh, Michael attended Westminster Chapel during those days. And, and he, he was always there on Friday nights when I taught Galatians. Well, I didn't know him, never had heard of him. And I don't think I was aware of his presence until that era was over. Uh, but it turns out that Michael claims that Galatians on those Friday nights changed his life. And, uh, and what it, it turned out to be for me, after I found out who Michael Eaton was, uh, I may have been his teacher, but now he's my teacher. I go back and say, have I got this right, Michael? Uh, so uh, it's impossible to say who's the greater blessing to the other, Michael or me. Uh, and so I've been in touch with Michael in my preparation of this. So nearly everything I'll say today has been sort of gone through Michael's editing, if that's the right word, because I, I wanted to be sure that I've got it right. Luther went through Galatians three times, and each time there would be a little development, a little bit clearer. And you could say this is my second time uh, to do Galatians, although I'm just going to do it in two talks. Now, um, I want to say a lot about Romans 1.17, but I think it will come up a little later, and I think I'll go right in to the purpose of Galatians. Um, the primary purpose of Galatians was pastoral, uh, and it comes out in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm using the NIV, uh, not because I think it's the best translation. It's just the most popular. And I've decided to use one that most people have. Uh, and, and it comes out again in chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul says, uh, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain to your goal by human effort? And then in chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, he says to them, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. And then in chapter 5, verse 4, he says, By uh, you who are trying to be justified by law, have been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. And then in verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, You were running a good race. 
Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Now, Paul would never have dreamed that this could happen to these people in Galatia. There was a, a, a strong affection that he had for them and they for him. Uh, we'll see later how uh, it was through an illness uh, that he communicated the gospel to them. And he says, uh, you would have plucked one of your eyes out for me. And that's led to the popular theory that Paul had uh, a disease called ophthalmalia, a disease of the eyes. Uh, but something had happened. And now they didn't feel the same way toward Paul. Let me say right now, the doctrine of justification by faith is arguably the hardest to maintain of any teaching in the New Testament. And do you know why? It seems too good to be true. And because it seems too good to be true, people say, you know, I don't think it is true. Uh, and they need to fill it in and apologize for it. Well, the wonderful thing is, Galatians was his early epistle. When you get to Romans, it's even clearer. So he, he didn't change on anything. And, uh, uh, and the reason that it's hard to maintain is the doctrine of justification by faith truly understood will immediately cause people to say, well, if that is true, it doesn't matter how you live. One of the best quotes of Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said it twice in Romans, and he said it many times to me personally. He said, if the gospel we preach does not bring the charge of antinomianism, it's because we haven't preached the gospel. In other words, if they don't think immediately when they hear it, oh, it doesn't matter how we live. If they don't think that, then you haven't preached it because they should think it. But then on the other hand, if they think that is what Paul is teaching, they've misunderstood it as well. And so what we want to do today by the two sessions uh, is to show how this gospel is dangerous and yet it needs to be complemented with the fruit of the Spirit without in the slightest bit taking anything away from what we learn about justification by faith. Uh, now, uh, what he wants to do is to rescue backslidden Galatians. Now, it may surprise you that I would call them backslidden they weren't morally backslidden, as far as we know, but they had theologically backslidden. And uh, we may think that's not so serious, but it's very, very serious. And, uh, and we want to understand what theological backsliding is. It's when you embraced a particular teaching and then decide uh, that's too good to be true, and you abandon it. It's a, it's a backsliding now, what was happening in the case of these Galatians, they were blowing away their inheritance. Now, when I bring up the word inheritance, that alone could require 
the whole day to understand. And uh, I just will have to give you a, a word or two on it. We're going to have a question-answer session uh, after lunch. And we'll take all the time necessary to answer questions. So if I say something you don't quite get, write it down and ask me later. Uh, but here in a word is the teaching. They were not in danger of losing their salvation. They were in danger of losing their inheritance. Some would think salvation and inheritance are the same and are used interchangeably. Wrong. Inheritance refers to your reward. And inheritance is something that all Christians are called to. You do not lose your salvation by forfeiting your inheritance. And what the Galatians were doing when he says to them in chapter 5, verse 4, uh, you have fallen from grace. Many seize upon that to say that proves you can lose your salvation. But what Paul means, and I hope to be so clear that you will never doubt it again, uh, is that they were forfeiting the inheritance that was grace. It was the grace of inheritance that they were forfeiting, not their salvation. Now, so the primary purpose of Galatians was pastoral. He's trying to win them back. The subsidiary purpose was theological. Now, you could argue, and, and, and it would be plausible argument, that the main purpose was theological. Uh, and I wouldn't quarrel with you, but as I see it, the main purpose was pastoral. He was worried about them. And in order to bring them back, uh, he goes into theology. And so what he does is to remind them of the gospel they had received and remind them that what they were flirting with, <laughs> he says, is no gospel at all. And so uh, he's horrified. He says in verse 6, of chapter 1, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Now, the word gospel, as I'm sure you know, is a Greek word. It's a secular word. We've made it into a theological word, but if you can just remember Evangelion is simply a word that means good news. And uh, uh, it was used in a secular way. The herald uh, would uh, blow the trumpet, and a certain sound meant it was good news, another sound it was bad news. Uh, but when the herald blew the trumpet, uh, it was good news, and it would be any kind of news. It wouldn't be anything spiritual necessarily. Uh, it was the way they got their news in those days. Well, Paul used that word, uh, good news. Well, he says, what you are flirting with is not good news. It's just not good news at all. Uh, it's no gospel at all. And so the moment you take away the glory that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone, that's good news. In fact, it's too good to be true. <laughs> and, and people say, Oh, if only that were true. It is true. 
But you see, what happened was there were enemies of this gospel, and there will always be those who say, oh, no, that is not it. That is too good to be true. And by the way, if the gospel did not make you think it's too good to be true, you haven't heard it yet. You haven't heard it yet. When you hear a word and you think, oh, if only that were true, that's it. That is the gospel. And so the trouble is with the Galatians, they were playing around with something and it wasn't going to be good news anymore. Uh, it, was, it was bringing in the law. And bringing in the law uh, is not good news. That's bad news. It means coming right back into the bondage you were saved from. You were saved from the bondage of the world. Now you go into the bondage of the law. And Paul says you could flip a coin, which is worse, uh, for you to go back into the bondage uh, of the law. All right. Another gospel that he's talking about. You've come, you've accepted another gospel. It's bad news. Now, Paul faced two levels of opponents. One, we call them today Judaizers. Paul calls them false brothers. Chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 4. So you've got two categories. First, false brothers. The other, chapter 2, verse 12, he calls circumcision group. Now, this is important. Two enemies, one from without, one from within. Those that are from without, we today call them Judaizers. Uh, those from within, we call them circumcision group, where uh, Peter <clears throat> and even Barnabas was influenced by the circumcision group. Chapter 2, verse 13. Well, what's the difference? Well, the Judaizers were those who were Jews who made professions of faith. It's debatable whether they were really saved. Some think they were, some think they weren't, some think maybe some of them were. Uh, and Judaizers, false brethren, Paul calls them. Uh, circumcision group, that would be those that were truly saved, but couldn't get past the feeling that Gentiles really should be circumcised. Uh, it's just not right if they're not. And there was a question whether they could be accepted into the household of faith, into the covenant, if they hadn't been circumcised. So we call them circumcision group. Uh, uh, they were, these were saved people, but still struggled with this issue. Well, Paul uh, hopes, you know, first to get them totally away from the Judaizers and even to see that the circumcision group uh, is doing these Galatians no favor. Well, now, Paul's general approach in writing Galatians is three things. Number one, he wants to explain the purpose of, of redemption. And that is in chapter 3, verse 14. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. If John 3:16, as Martin Luther put it, is the Bible in a nutshell, Galatians 
3.14 is Galatians in a nutshell. That's number one. His purpose is to show the purpose of redemption. The second thing is the place of the law. Chapter 3, verse 19. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions uh, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. Uh, We'll be coming back to that. I'm not going to explain either of these verses. I'm just giving you the general outline. We're going from the general to the particular. The general purpose of redemption, place of the law, and third, how inheritance is achieved. How it is achieved. And here's the best way I know to put it. Salvation is received. Inheritance is achieved. Salvation is what you receive by believing the gospel uh, when you transfer your trust that was in good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross. We call it saving faith. But having been saved and you're brought into the covenant, uh, there is something to which you are called. Not just heaven, but what God wants you to achieve here below as well as a reward in heaven, and that is inheritance. And it is based on achieving or persistent faith. Uh, I've given you a mouthful. Don't expect necessarily that you grasp it all just like that, but we will come back to it. And I promise to be... Uh, faithful in answering your questions if I fail in our talk today. <clears throat> All right. Galatians 1, 2, 3 that we're going to do now. There are these themes. Revelation with a small r. It doesn't mean the book of Revelation. We're talking about the gospel being revealed. Revelation, faith, Holy Spirit, law, inheritance. All right, first, revelation. Now, the word revelation is used two ways, objective and subjective. The objective clarification of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. And this is what I read at the beginning. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And so, uh, what Paul got, maybe during the time in Arabia, or during the 14 years when he spoke to no apostle, uh, and he goes into that later in chapter 1, the gospel was personally revealed to him by Jesus Christ. Uh, He was tutored by the person of Jesus. He wasn't taught it. He didn't go to Peter. He didn't go to Barnabas. He didn't go to James. Good job that he didn't because they didn't have the clarification themselves that Paul had. And because Paul had it, they weren't so sure about Paul. And I predict 
when you get to heaven and we sit around a big table, you'll find out that Peter and James were just a little bit jealous of this Johnny-come-lately <laughs> who has revelation that they would say, well, why didn't we know this? And Paul would say, well, it's all there. I don't know why you don't know it because, you know, it's, it's what Jesus taught. But the point is, Paul didn't get it from the other disciples. He got it straight from Jesus Christ. Now, we would all like that, wouldn't we? I mean, I, I've, I've had one, only one, uh, what I would call supernatural Damascus Road experience, and, and a lot of things were clarified. But I can't say for one minute that that was the same as what happened to Paul. Uh, he was given an extraordinary uh, tutoring by Jesus. And so clear uh, was it to him that he adds, and this is an extraordinary, extraordinary thing to say. He says in verse 8, chapter 1, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned, as we've already said. So now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you received, let him be eternally condemned. Now that's how clear it was to him. And uh, so we're talking now about why he could be so sure. In fact, he risked his own destiny. He said, if we preach any other gospel, then let me be condemned. He was so clear about it. And he challenges any uh, authority, angelic or human. Now, I don't know if you know the German philosopher Ludwig Feuerbach. Uh, Feuerbach said that God is nothing more than man's projection upon the backdrop of the universe. Feuerbach led the way for uh, uh, an atheistic philosophy. Uh, God is only in our imagination. Uh, man wants to believe that there's a God up there who's going to give him heaven when he dies, and man wants so much to believe it that he believes it. I reply, what Paul gives in Galatians, no man could have ever thought of it. This is absolutely uh, supernatural. It is above nature. No human being would have thought of this. Uh, remember having a debate with uh, Rabbi David Rosen. I don't know if any of you know who that is. He's Israel's most prominent Jewish rabbi. And uh, he and I wrote a book together, which I we, uh, we published our letters to each other. I try to convert him. I fail. Uh, and he writes back and uh, tells why he doesn't agree with me. But one point I made, and uh, he didn't bother to come back. I said, no disciple of Jesus would have ever conceived of this gospel, that Jesus' death on the cross was the fulfillment of the law, I mean, these fishermen, they wouldn't have come up with that. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we're talking about something that no man would have thought of. And that's, that's this gospel. So, 
Paul says, I did not consult any man. And, uh, and so he wouldn't have got it anyway if he had. Because no apostle there uh, had that kind of understanding of the gospel. All right. That's what I mean by objective uh, revelation. There is a such a thing also as subjective guidance. And that comes out in chapter 2, verse 2, when Paul says, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So you've got to remember, he's using the word revelation in two ways. First, the gospel was revealed to him. But second, the Holy Spirit told him uh, what to do. And, it, and it's when uh, you feel God has revealed to you that uh, you should do this or that. Uh, like when uh, uh, Philip, in the 8th chapter of Acts, the Spirit says, go to the desert. Uh, he didn't know why he was going, he just went. And then after he got there, the Spirit says, go up to that chariot. Well, that's subjective revelation. So the objective revelation is the gospel, the subjective, is where Paul says, I went in response to a revelation. And the Lord led me to do this. By the, the way, one of my favorite quotations of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones is this. The Bible was not given to replace the miraculous, but rather to correct abuses. All right, that's the first, Revelation. Second, faith. This is the second category that we're dealing with in our first hour. Faith. Now, there are two kinds of faith, speaking generally. One, we call it justifying faith. The other, we call it achieving faith or persistent faith. Justifying faith is saving faith. Achieving faith is persistent faith when you continue to believe the same gospel and don't give up on it. If you do what the Galatians did and decide, oh, that's too good to be true, then you're not persisting in the same faith and you will not achieve your inheritance. All right. Justifying faith. What is it? It is relying, are you ready for this, on the faith of Christ. Now I have my hardest work cut out for me. And here's why. Most of you will not be using the authorized version. This is when I would like to go back to the authorized version. Uh, it is... One of those things so clear to me and so absent in modern versions, and it breaks my heart. And I may need more than an hour or two to convince you. I'm not going to try, but I'm going to tell you exactly what Paul means when he says the just shall live by faith because when Paul said the just shall live by faith, uh, he was quoting Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Habakkuk 2, 4, the just shall live by faith, is quoted three times 
in the New Testament. Romans 1.17, Galatians, and in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, in order to understand this statement, the just shall live by faith, you go back to Hebrews, uh, or rather Habakkuk, and read the Hebrew. And any Hebrew scholar will tell you that Habakkuk 2.4 should read, the just shall live by his faithfulness. What they may not tell you, though, is that the his should be a capital H. The just shall live by his, God's faithfulness. Now, this is so important. I just ask that the Holy Spirit will help me to say it in such a way that you'll see it the first time. When you are living by his faithfulness, that means you're trusting him to keep his word. The context of Habakkuk 2 is to wait for the vision. It will come. Though it tarry, it may tarry long. It will come. But the just will live by God's promise to come. He will show up. Don't give up. Live by his faithfulness. As a matter of fact, when this is quoted in Hebrews chapter 10, that's exactly the point that he makes. Live by God's faithfulness. You're not trusting your faithfulness. You're living by his faithfulness. Uh, You may feel a very, very weak faith, but you know one thing. He is faithful that promised. Now, that's the background of Habakkuk 2, verse 4, living by God's faithfulness. Well, when Paul quotes of the just shall live by faith, he quotes the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, not as clear as the Hebrew Although Paul would have known that. Paul would know what the Hebrew said. Now, here is my point. Paul goes on to say in Romans 1.17, In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, uh, for reasons I don't understand, the NIV says, first to last. That's not what the Greek says at all. To their credit, they give you a footnote that says, from faith to faith. How many of you think you know what it means from faith to faith? Don't raise your hand because I don't want to have anybody look around and say, oh, you didn't get it. I'm going to tell you what it means, faith to faith. It means the faithfulness of God or the faithfulness of Jesus that is ratified by our faith. Now, I can prove it. The next time Paul uses the phrase righteousness of God comes out in Romans 3, verse 22. And if you look at Romans 3, 22, Paul says this righteousness from God comes through. And the King James authorized version quotes the Greek literally, the faith of Jesus Christ to all who believe. The faith of Jesus Christ to all believe. All who believe. When Paul talks about the faith of Jesus, whereas modern translations make it faith in Jesus, they miss the point. Of course it's faith in Jesus. No one's questioning that. 
But the beauty is that Jesus' own faith when he was on this earth is what enabled him to live that perfect life. And what enabled him to fulfill the law is that he lived a perfect faith. And that's the foundation of our justification. Had he not lived a perfect faith, then he would not have fulfilled the law. And so when Paul says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, it means his faith ratified by our faith. So when you get to Romans three twenty-two, this righteousness from God is through the faith of Jesus Christ to all who believe. If it meant faith in Christ, he's being redundant. He's saying it twice. Now, the same is true if you will now turn to Galatians 2.16. Galatians 2.16. Let me ask, is it, is, does anybody here have an authorized version with you? By chance. Anybody here reading the authorized version? Do you have it? Would you bring it up to me? Oh, I don't want on your computer. I'm, has anybody got an AV? I probably should have brought one. All right. Because I wanted to read it to you. Galatians 2.16 uh, says this in the King James Version. And believe me, this is exactly what the Greek says. We have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. That is what the Greek says. That's what the authorized version says. I would, you know, almost give my right arm if all modern translations just translated the Greek instead of trying to interpret it. Because we are saved by the faith of Jesus. It is our faith in his faith that saves us. We put our faith in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Which goes back to the point of Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by his faithfulness. All right. That's probably all I'll be able to say right now. Uh, because I don't want to spend the whole hour on it. But... Uh, when I had this insight and this breakthrough uh, 30 years ago, it was so thrilling to me. And uh, I, in those days, stood alone. I don't mean to sound, feel sorry for myself. I, I didn't. I mean, I didn't mind it because I knew I'd got it right. But n nobody was agreeing with me. And then a couple years later, Michael Eaton, bless him, wrote me. And uh, with other things he said, uh, said, R.T., you have got that exactly right. And it transformed his own life. It's his own testimony. Well, you may need time to take that one in, uh, but let's go on. What Paul does then is to show how not to be justified. Uh, he says in 2.16, he said, uh, Knowing that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. So the way not to be justified, you, if you want to guarantee uh, how you're not going to be justified, then just live by the law. And he says so again in chapter 3, verse 10. 
All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And now Paul brings in a person that had it not been for this person, Paul would not have been able to get this over. And you know who that person is? It was Abraham. Thank God for Abraham. Abraham is Paul's exhibit A for all he believes. And so he says in chapter 3, verse 6, Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Uh, now he quotes there, Galatians chapter 15, verse 6. And in Romans 4, Paul uses the same exact example. Now, in Galatians, in, sorry, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, uh, one day when Abraham was discouraged, he wasn't, uh, he and Sarah weren't having any children. And uh, Galatians, uh, sorry, he wasn't having any children. And in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, uh, we're told that one night, on a clear night, when God said to Abraham, count the stars. And so Abraham says, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. oh, start over. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I, I can't count them. I can't count them. Thousands, thousands, I can't count them. God said, so will your seed be. All right. Abraham might have said, come off it. I don't believe that. Had he not believed it, we would never have heard from him again. But do you know, Abraham said, Lord, I believe you. I believe you. Though I'm not having any children, Sarah's not having any children, you say that my seed will be as the stars. I believe it. And God says, good. I call that righteousness. And from that moment, God called Abraham righteous. He was seen as righteous. And the Bible uses a word, impute. It means put to the account of. You are charged as being righteous. Um, it's interesting. In chapter 3, verse 8 uh, of Galatians, Paul says that God gave to Abraham the gospel in advance. Well, um, here we have it. Uh, Abraham uh, believing the promise. And so that becomes Paul's main exhibit for justification by faith. Uh, I'm going to stop there uh, with my view of the faith of Christ uh, because I'm just going to trust that you've got it and, and you, whether you believe it, you can decide next week or a year from now. But I hope you at least get the point that I'm making. Now he goes from 
saving faith to persistent faith. This is also relying on Christ. So uh, the, the achieving faith that, that gets your inheritance, you don't change the object of your faith. You continue to believe on Christ. Uh, you just keep on believing in it. In other words, don't give up this gospel. Don't let anybody come in and say, oh, you, you don't think that's going to hold. You surely know you're going to have to bring in the law. You're not going to get a free ticket to heaven just by believing the word. And, uh, and you know, because it's too good to be true, the devil will accuse you. He will point out everything wrong about you. And he says, you couldn't possibly be a Christian if you've got those thoughts. You couldn't possibly be a Christian if you've got that kind of attitude. And the Judaizers come along to these Galatians and say, you know, this man Paul hasn't been right. He hasn't been fair to you. Why hasn't he? Well, he hasn't brought in the law. Oh, we didn't know about that. Well, tell us more. And the Judaizers so upset the Galatians that they now know no, they don't even believe in Paul anymore. It, it's such an awful thing. I'm telling you, the doctrine of justification by faith is the hardest thing in the world to hold on to. It seems too good to be true. Let me put it to you like this. And then it's time for our first break. And by the way, I think I will be four years uh, in teaching this today. <laughs> I'm going to have to decide what to leave out. I love this stuff. I'm going to tell you, uh, I would die for this. I would go to the stake for what I'm teaching you today. Uh, it, it, it is so wonderful. I have one hope of going to heaven. You know what it is? Jesus died for me. That's it. That's it. He did it. I trust him. My faith is in his faith. His faith is a perfect faith. And by the way, the most beautiful sentence in Galatians, in my opinion, and in, in all the modern versions, they gloss over it. It's when Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, the Greek says, I live by faith, namely that of the Son of God. I live by the faith of the Son of God. And do you know what? It not only refers to the faith that Jesus had on earth, but where is Jesus right now? Where is he? He's at the right hand of God. What's he doing there? He's interceding. Is he interceding with a perfect faith or an imperfect faith? Perfect faith. So, in other words, when Jesus is interceding for me, he's not saying, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope the Father is hearing me. No. He is interceding for me with a perfect faith. Paul says, I don't have a perfect faith, but I've got faith in one who does have a perfect faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God. And I tell you what, before we break, I'll tell you a sweet story. Our son, uh, he's Robert Tillman II. My name is Robert Tillman. I go by R.T. because my father named me after his favorite preacher, R.T. Williams. And I've known nothing but R.T. since I was one hour old. That's all, all I've ever known. That's why they call me R.T. When... 
our little boy came along. We named him Robert Tillman II. But we tried different names. We tried Robert. We tried Bob. We tried R.T. And someone said, try T.R. And it stuck. So our son is T.R. When we came to England, I came to study at Oxford. I was there three years. And the children were so homesick. They wanted to go back to America. They thought America was heaven. And uh, I said, one day we're going home because they never settled in well in the English schools. And T.R. was slightly larger than the other English boys. And they would bully him and gang up on him. And he just wanted to get back to America. He used to pray, God help daddy to get his defil so he can go back to America. Then I was invited to preach at Westminster Chapel. And lo and behold, they asked me to stay. And I had to go to TR and say, well, TR, we're not going just yet. We had to move into London. And we, our first move was in Ealing. We wanted to live in Ealing because that's where Dr. Lloyd-Jones lived. But it meant putting TR in a different school. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. I drove up to Montpelier School in Ealing. I said, well, TR, there's your school. I'll see you. I'll be back at 3 o'clock. He wouldn't get out of the car. I said, TR, uh, you've got to go. Look at all those kids. They're having fun on the playground. They're going to be your friends. He wouldn't go. I said, TR, I'm sorry, but you've got to go. I'm not going. And I was desperate. I didn't know what to do. I said, TR, look at me. I am going to pray for you all day long today. Continuously. Any moment. When you get scared, just remember, Daddy's praying for you. New friend, and you're scared, Daddy's praying for you. Go into a class, you haven't been there before, Daddy's praying for you. He opened the door, walked out, he never looked back. Was he trusting his faith? No, he was trusting my faith. He was living that day by my faith. That's what Paul meant. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith, namely that of the Son of God. And we are saved by His faith, and we live by His faith, and that's the way we come into our inheritance. Okay, we'll take a 15-minute break. Quite literally, the heavens have opened, and I really believe you've opened the heavens for me personally today. And I, I, just, I just think there's just such a profound sense of God doing something in my heart and all of our hearts. Could you just pray, Artie, in line with just something of what you've been sharing now? Could you pray? Pray right now? Sure. Sure. Okay, sure. Heavenly Father. As the rain comes down, nearly drowning out my words, I just pray that the Holy Spirit will take over and apply what I've said. 
with such conviction that there will not only be clarity but an embracing of this truth and may there be no theological backsliding months from now. I pray that these people won't be Galatians, that they won't say it's too good to be true, but they'll hang on to it, hold on to it, and enter into inheritance, which we're going to talk about later. Put your seal upon this word, and may it bring great honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.